Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Reunion audio? I'm Anna Dalvey, and this is the Anna Dalvey Show. You might recognize my name as a character in a Netflix series, but now you get to meet the real me. On this show, I will dive into the concept of rules and talk with the people who create or break them. From art, politics, fashion, tech, finance, law, and more, the Anna Delvey Show will share honest, unfiltered conversations that will question traditional notions of what's right and wrong, all recorded in my East Village apartment in New York while on house arrest. This week, we are joined by Brontes Cornell, who's most known as a writer, especially for his recent book, 100 Boyfriends. He's a filmmaker with movies on Criterion Channel. He's been a dancer for many years, and his band Gravy Train just had their 20th anniversary reunion show. He's become a key figure in culture to the point that Interview Magazine matched him up with John Waters. His work is vulgar yet sincere, dark while emotionally vast, anxiety-inducing and uplifting all at once. I love seeing a figure like him, someone traditionally on the outskirts of culture getting mainstream attention. Hi, Brontes. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you on. Hi, thank you. I love it. (laughs) I was just looking at your Instagram and I see you have an art show coming up in New York. Yes. Um, It's in the Lower East Side. Yeah, it's an art show about persona. Yay. Are you going to be here in the yeah, city? Yeah, totally. I'm about to fly out next week. Oh, awesome. Maybe we should have done it in person. <laughs> <laughs> when did you, So when did you first start writing? I started writing like zines in the 90s. When I was like 13 or 14 is when I started doing my first zine. Um, and yeah, I think it just snowballed. I always wrote, like my mom was, my mom wanted to be a writer. I remember she would get off of work and for years she would journal in this little notebook. It was some play she was writing that she never realized, but I don't know. I kind of always did it. Did you always share your writing? Yes, actually. I never believed in drafts or mm-hmm. anything. Like, you know how some people like will like, have their art and they hold it close to them because it's their most precious thing. I'm one of those really annoying fucks. So I'm always just like, no, like, look at this. It's mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of it just has so much journalistic quality. Um, do you like write for yourself? Are you, are you like motivated by um, expecting a reaction from the audience? I feel like... I feel like writing, I write like a theater kid. And so in my head, before I write something down, like I always have to be able to recite it like a monologue. Mm -hmm. So there probably is always this IQ of like where I'm waiting for the punchline to be or the dramatic pause. But then I don't know if that's like, maybe that just has more to do with me being like controlling. (laughs) But (laughs) But essentially, like, yeah, that I'm more often than not, I feel like my writing is something that I'm usually sharing with people or my thoughts are usually shared. How would you say your voice changed over the years? 
I, I feel like when I was young, I wrote in a very fatalistic manner, but I believed at the end of it, there would be hope. I don't know if I believe in hope so much anymore, but I'm, I exponentially believe that things actually will be all right. Oh, yeah. What made you lose um, faith and hope? Uh, what made me lose faith and hope? Well, you know, like, I think it's just you get you get older and so many things just do not turn out the way you thought. Or, you know, like when you're young, I feel like you're very attached to outcomes. Like you can almost feel it in your stomach, you know, if yeah. you feel like something's going wrong or something's not going the right way. But, you know, I feel like the older you get, you basically do not have control over most things, but most things, like, land about where they should. Right. Like, think of all the times, like, I always bet it against the times all of my worst fucking nightmares have totally come true in front of my face. <laughs> but twice as many times, worst, my worst anxieties never came true whatsoever, you know? Yeah. I've, you know, to be balanced, I'm probably equally prepared for both, yeah. I think. Definitely. It's like kind of about um, accepting what you can and cannot control and just kind of trying to focus on the things that you can control. And yeah, there's a lot of shit you cannot control. Like, it is crazy. (laughs) 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 So what was it like when um, 100 Boyfriends became a hit? It was really weird. I thought that some like some white boy from Manhattan was going to ask to marry me and fly <laughs> me out and put me up in the apartment and I was never going to have to work again. <laughs> but, oh, I, I still fuck drug dealers in Oakland. So. <laughs> so it did not change much. For you, <laughs> no, like not at all. I mean, not materialist, not materialistically, absolutely not. I mean, uh, there's a lot more opportunities that come through, and I'm definitely grateful for that. But you know, there's definitely like some very, very slight gains. But yeah, anytime you're successful, the only thing that happens is like people want you to write for them for free. So, <laughs> <laughs> did it change? Like, yeah. Did it change the way people like treated you? The ones who like known you for a while well no because anyone that's been very close to me has seen me write for like 20 years and so you know they i'm sure they were finally happy to see me like land something in a very new way but the voice the voice the voice has stayed you know pretty much the same and plus you know like you have brothers and sisters right and do you have brothers and sisters i have a little brother yeah, you know, how, but he's much younger. Okay, okay. well, I, th- I think in like close sibling situations, it's like being in an art scene is like having siblings. You're always the age you met to those people. Yeah, like you know, no matter how I could win a Pulitzer, there's plenty of friends of mine that'll just be like, "Oh, that's Brontes that used to sleep on my couch." Yeah, when he couldn't pay his rent time, and let's check up on him and see if he's eating. You know, like. <laughs> It's weird with families. You never, you never change. And, you know, I stick even no matter how successful you get, you pretty much, I believe that you have to leave the party with who you came with, you know? Yeah. So I tend to stick close to my family group or the people that knew me when there was nothing going on. Cause if anything bad happens, that's who's going to help. And I don't know. It's, it's not very turbulent there. It's like very modular, you know, the way I operate within my family dynamics. Definitely, yeah. And um, you have a pretty big family, right? It is fucking crazy, yes. There's <laughs> so many of those fucking people. <laughs> like, 
are they all based in uh, California or like close to you? Like no, no. Um, I grew up in Alabama, so all my family's in Alabama. Actually, my grandfather died the week before last, so I went back to Alabama for like the first time in like four years and um, was at his funeral, oh. and it was the funnest funeral I've ever been to. Like, <laughs> I never, I never saw a funeral that was actually about a celebration about life, and he was like, he was old as fuck. Like that dude was old. I think, yeah, funerals, more funerals should be about a celebration of life because it's not like, it's not a surprise that we all are going to die. Well, some people, right, because it's like, I feel like in like artist communities like ours, like when our friends die, it's always, it's like an overdose or like poverty, it's always unexpected. It's very rare that I've been to a funeral where someone just died of old age, like, (laughs) was kind of like, oh yeah, cool, awesome. Like, it's just, like, he had, like, 10 kids. He had 16 brothers and sisters, like, 40-something grandkids. And I was like, oh, I grew up, like, in an African compound or something. Like, this is nuts. But (laughs) 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 So how did you end up in uh, Oakland? Okay, so it's kind of a long story. My grandmother's brother was a blues musician, and he came out here in the 60s. And so he ran a blues club. Actually, it's, the club is up the street. My band plays there now. Mm-hmm. But he would come back to the Bay, and he had this white hippie girlfriend. And out of his, like, 30-something nieces and nephews, I was the only one could, that could play guitar because his father, my grandmother's father, was also a blues musician. Mm-hmm. And so there was just a big music scene out here, way bigger than it was now. But it was big out here 20 years ago. And you lived um, there your whole I lived life? in Alabama, yeah, when I was, yep. yeah. No, I mean, I mean, since you moved, sorry. Um, yeah. <laughs> Not your whole life. 20 years. I moved here when I was 19 yep. years old. I, like, got in a van and just moved here. I'd never even visited. But I came here to play music. And I knew that my uncle was out here. My grandma's brother was out here. So it started that way, and then I just stayed. That's nice. You ever thinking um, about moving anywhere else? I sometimes really think I like would want to move to New York, but then I always feel like I should have done that when I was in my 20s because now I just feel like I don't want to be like some washed up bottom moving to New York. Um, Not that the other washed up bottoms don't and have a great time doing it, but I live in California and it's like, I don't know, I like produce and just like space and like Pacific ocean air <laughs> i spent some time in san francisco and i really liked it it's a great city not not so much in oakland but san francisco is great it's really beautiful <laughs> like it's really beautiful i literally stare at beauty all day and so um when but when but i don't know like new york is just like so sexy and all my my whole art life is there i've been to new york like five times this year already yeah and i so three more times before August, so. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, I love the city. Um, I think it's always kind of like, it's nice to know that you're always going to come back or you're able to travel. I find this whole idea of like being stuck in one place kind of depressing, so. <laughs> yes, very much so. We can't do that. Have you ever been arrested? Oh, yeah. I like, okay, I was like, I'm going to try to give like the easiest, the easiest. 
I don't want to indict myself or this other person, <laughs> but basically I was like, I was hanging out with this, like this older art dude. And we were both drinking and taking Percocets. We got into an argument and I guess I jumped on the hood of his car and ended up kicking out his window shield while he was in the driver's seat. <laughs> like when we right his apartment, all I remember is like kicking in the window shield and crying. And then I getting arrested. I stayed in jail all night. And then I was supposed to stay for court, but I didn't. So I guess, I mean, I might have a warrant in that state. But this was like a long time ago. <laughs> Other than that, I've only ever been arrested for like anti-war protest. Because I'm a patriot. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> I mean, it's an interesting experience. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like, I don't know. It's just like, like, really, officer, with so much crime in the world, you're going to arrest me? Like, <laughs> they hate when you say that. <laughs> How, was it a long time ago? How old were you? Oh, God. I was, like, it was a long time ago. I had to be, like, something like 24 or whatever. Oh. I think it's the best age to, like, get arrested in your 20s. I think it kind of gets sadder. I know. Like, I'm so fucking, <laughs> the older it gets. I'm, like, so fat and out of shape now. I can't fight a cop. Like, if a cop <laughs> is, like, I'm going to arrest you, I'm like, okay, fine. But when I was 24, I could run. I could fucking run my mouth. Could, you know, it'd be more dynamic, so. <laughs> I mean, just even, like, in being in jail, too, um... It's kind of like a huge, I don't know, like a boarding school or like a college campus. And there are so many young people. Um, <laughs> and like often it just reminds, um, it reminded me of high school. Were you, okay, were you like, were you like popular? Like, <laughs> I mean, it always kind of helps if when you have like this high profile case and you're being written about and like people are curious. Um it's weird because there's also turnover is so high in jail, less in prison, um, but definitely, yeah. <laughs> like people just, yeah, people definitely knew who I was for better or for worse. Um, it's not like necessarily something that you would want all the time. Like sometimes you just want to like be under the radar, but it was like an interesting experience. Um just like having uh, have to like coexist around so many people for such a long period of time. Like I grew up a single child. Um, I have a little brother, but he's almost 13 years younger than me. So I kind of like grew up by myself. Um, yeah, it was wild to me. <laughs> what are most, like what were most of the women in there for? Um, oh, you just get to go to jail, prison for um, anything. Um, that was... <laughs> Right before, when I was at Rikers, that was right before um, Alvin Bragg um, passed this law where you don't get bail for nonviolent crimes. So a lot of people had bail back in the day. <laughs> Not anymore. Now, if you committed like a nonviolent offense, you just they just let you go. In jail and prison are kind of like two widely different concepts because in jail, you are not convicted of anything. And they just hold you until your next court date because you're either flight risk or, um, yeah, or you could not afford your bail. Um, and in prison, you are convicted and they're like, they can't make you do stuff. And I guess when I ended up at Rikers, this is the first time I kind of felt like old. I was 26. <laughs> because they're like, you're with like 18, 19 year old girls. 
who like treat it like it's a sleepover. <laughs> oh my god! Was there anything about it that was like fun? Oh my god! I'm so sorry. That's like such an offensive question. Actually, like uh, obviously, like an industrial complex, like so. Uh, no, no, no. I I've been asked worse. Don't worry about it. Um. I mean, the funny thing is, it's just people. So, um, yeah, like a lot of people are having a lot of fun there. And they're like laughing and making jokes and making fun of each other. That's kind of the wild thing about whatever jail and prison. While I guess like general population or like just people on the outside think like when you're in jail or prison, you just sit and think about like your crime all day. But it's just not always the truth. Um, Just it's so crazy what a person can get used to and especially people who are serving like long periods of time they just create their whole little life in there they have like girlfriends they just like kind of plan their lives around like cooking getting packages like doing something yeah uh, so in prison you have like hot plates and you can get packages with food you can get commissary Um, did you say cocaine you cut the food Oh, no, no. Cooking. Cooking. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, mean, there's cooking there, too. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, whoa. I can't I can't really I can't wrap my head around it. Waiting on a tax return. Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30 percent in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. I know that there was a girl, right during quarantine, this girl I grew up with, she went to jail and I called up some friends because we had to put some money on her books. I didn't know you had to buy everything. Yeah. Like they were like, she had to buy like toilet paper, shoes, this, that, the other. Oh yeah. It's like a huge money-making machine. They uh, provide you like basic necessities. Um, everything else you just have to buy. And if you can't, if you don't have somebody who like, will put money on your books, you just don't have it. Yeah. It's crazy. And the same for the phone calls, the same for everything. And it's usually, it's the families of the incarcerated people that get punished. Oh, man. Yeah. And and it's pretty much impossible to um, get anything for yourself. Like, it's not like you can earn any money in jail or prison. No, I've never, never, no, I've (laughs) never been there. Like, (laughs) <laughs> I'm like the, the most the most dorm thing, the most dorm like thing I did was, I guess when I moved here I lived with 22 other people like in a compound or a warehouse, you know. But that was it was certainly wasn't jail like, 
<laughs> you got me there. How would you say like San Francisco like changed a lot in Oakland over the years? I, I just keep reading all these articles and there's so much being made, how much worse it's gotten, but I'm sure it's kind of over-exaggerated. Well, you know, we were a bunch of tier two gentrifiers 20 years ago too. Like, I don't know, like yeah. it's always been like a weird transient place, certainly. Mm-hmm. But I, personally, what I think, what I think is the main difference is like, I feel like, Started two thousands when I got here at the end of dot com. It still felt like this international hub. I would meet kids from like kids from all over Europe were coming here. I would meet like kids from Berlin, you know, weird London kids, kids from Spain, even like New Yorkers. And everyone thought that there was going to be like this art hub here, or like you know, it was just sort of going to be like New York, you know, where there'd be as- access to industry. But it just, it, the access to, industry was just never here. We were always painting it that way, but it was never here. Cut to today, I feel like who you meet, it was once like an international hub, but who you meet now is just like, you know, a bunch of kids who move from the Central Valley and their fucking, their trajectory is they want to be on Drag Race one day. Like, that's their big dream. <laughs> and to be quite honest, I think that's just as valid as all of us who thought we were going to be art stars. You know, like, yeah. without any plan or infrastructure. But it has definitely changed, like, kind of, like, the mood and timbre of it. And, but I think things should change, too. Oh, definitely. Did you notice, like, the whole tech industry and tech people? Is it as bad as everyone says it I is? I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess. I don't know when it was ever that cool. I was, I was always on such another side of it because I was just, like, I was hanging out, like, doing cocaine with white boys and punk warehouses, and I, I feel like we were just as much a menace on the landscape as anyone else. So like, I, would never, I would never deeply, like, you know, come at anyone for whatever job they do. I don't know if I, if I really care, if I really care enough, because for everyone that always paints this place, it's like, oh, no, it was just, like, a bunch of cool artists and I was like, I don't remember all of us being artists. I remember some people doing art. And I remember, like, mm-hmm. everybody else just kind of, like, doing drugs and hanging out. Which, again, is valid. But <laughs> just, like, I don't know. Sometimes, like, these fucking hipsters in San Francisco, right? Like, I remember when it first started happening, they wanted to paint their whole life, like, the fucking Trail of Tears. Because they had to, you know, move to Oakland. And it was just like, girl, like... <laughs> <laughs> people were literally just like yeah i guess i'm gonna move to berlin now <laughs> but oakland is cool right it's like kind of the same as brooklyn and manhattan now like now brooklyn is more expensive than Oh, you know, actually, more people are definitely moving into here because this is where everyone is now. I would not compare Brooklyn to Oakland because it's just San Francisco and Manhattan having things more similar. I could totally see that. Oakland and Brooklyn are just like weird, different. Like, it's just too fucking different. Again, if... (laughs) If Oakland were anything like Brooklyn, I'd be getting way more Puerto Rican dick. And I'm just not getting enough Puerto Rican dick to call it fucking Brooklyn. So I won't. Oh, but you mean like art-wise? Like, yeah, like, you know, we all play in post-punk bands. I'm wearing all black right now. It's groovy. 
<laughs> uh, what kind of clothes are you into? Oh, I like dress like a dyke from Portland. Hmm. I try not to, but it's like, it's what's happened. I've been trying to read men's fashion blogs so I can update my look. If you know any good men's fashion blogs, please send them to me. Uh, I've actually been um, asked to go on... God, let me see menswear. There is one. This It's actually a podcast. One of the few menswear podcasts. Ooh. Oh, gosh. I'll send it to you. I can't. Send it to me, babe. I'm deeply into it. <laughs> Do you guys have, like, any cool brands that are just, like, from Oakland? That's the, the West Coast is, like, not a fashion place. It's, like, oh, I will say this, though. My art wife, Sophia Wang... She, um, we started a dance company together, but she runs this thing called Microworks. Yeah. And it's like, they're taking mycelium, like the mushroom material, and they're turning it into like wearable fabrics. Yeah. So, yeah. So she's like doing like a mushroom fiber brand and they're pairing with this very, very, very big fashion label, but I'm not allowed to tell you right now because I'll get in trouble. (laughs) I'll cut my allowance. Uh, throwing fits. That's the. Um, I think it's a podcast, like one of the few podcasts. That's, that's a good name. <laughs> that's a good name. I gotta write that mm-hmm. down. I am um, actually thinking of doing my own merch line. So, just looking for some inspiration. What are you? What's the? What's? <laughs> what's it giving? What's the theme? What's the? What's the zhuzh? Just myself. Just kind of like, I'm not trying to feed like too much into the whole like Netflix caricature of me. Just kind of trying to find kind of like the perfect balance between the old and the new, but without kind of completely ignoring the past. So I don't know. Free Anna? I don't know. I'm still on house arrest. (laughs) I feel like my my art show is kind of about that. It's about, it's called Anti-Alter Ego. Yeah. But it's about kind of, how we write against narratives of ourselves yeah. that are portrayed. And so, like, when you see yourself on Netflix, do you feel like... Obviously, here's my thing. I write, I like, write in TV sometimes, mm-hmm. or I've done it very seldomly. I think all TV is essentially horrible, and it's always meant to mutilate every true thing about... Any, you know what I'm saying? I don't think there's ever really been a lot of very good adaptations. Yeah. Because, you know... TV people just want the story and they want to write whatever the fuck they want. It's never about truth. Yeah. I, I generally think. I agree, too. You agree? Yeah. I think the saddest part is that, like, they say it's fiction or it's dramatized version of events, but people just believe it and, like, kind of take everything at face value. They, they just don't really, like, exercise too much critical thinking because, obviously, nobody wants to hear the story where like oh well maybe it was not that crazy maybe it's like this did not really happen so no they can't <laughs> but it's okay and that's the thing too because it's like even when you say it's like fiction it's like in order for people to accept the story it essentially has to be memoir yeah this is what i was thinking too like my friend was saying like oh gosh i like i feel like i say this over and over again especially like with like i don't know like women or marginalized identities gay people, black people, whatever, whenever we speak about our story, like in order for people to accept it or it to be authentic, it has to be completely memoir. 
because if it's, you know, memoir, I don't know. It, I feel like they feel like they have more personal access to you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Whereas opposed, I think that fiction has just as much, I don't know, moral value in teaching about the human experience. But yeah, I feel like people love when another person is indicted. Oh, definitely. It's like always this schadenfreude, I guess. It's just, I think it's natural. It's not really like um, just unique to anybody. It's just most, most people. Like, even though if they don't like to admit it, there's just something about, it's like an accident and you can't look away, but you're not like, nobody's going to admit like, yeah, I love accidents. <laughs> it's like something <laughs> just in our nature. Is there anything that you reread or like that you keep rereading? Or do you like read anything for inspiration? That's actually very interesting to me personally. Like when you're, I don't know if you ever have writer's block. Maybe not. I never, no, I don't have like traditional writer's block. I always have ideas. I just have fucking fat ass laziness. It's like actually getting my body to the computer. The, the ideas won't shut up. Like, I'll be walking down the street talking to myself, you know, thinking about the ideas. But Do you take notes or, like, voice notes or anything? Or do you just kind yes. of try to keep it? Yeah. I, I take I take voice memos. I take notes. I used to, like, not, like, um, I used to only write my stories down. Like, I had to write, I had to write them on paper first and then type them so there was just a yeah there was an intermediate so i could have at least one editing step because i hate editing like yeah you know editing down is just like the worst thing and i think it ever happened but you know i take control of technology now like i'm always scribbling on my phone i'm always like frankensteining a lot because it's like there'll be a lot of big creative block here and a big creative block there and you know over the course of two weeks, I'm like, this all has to be one thing, how does this all come together? That type of weird editing shit uh-huh. that I think. I'm releasing too much intel, but <laughs> I feel like that's how my creative process rolls with that, which some people I think think is a mess, which it is. <laughs> Have you ever played around with, like, ChatGPT or any, like, of the AI? <laughs> oh, of the AI? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'm like one of those people where it's like, it's amazing that I have like an email, you know, like I can, I go on Instagram. Like that's the full, ex- I've never really been on Twitter, like Facebook, like even getting on this interview today, like I literally sat there in the Google hangout for almost 10 minutes. Cause I didn't know I was supposed to click the link under it. And then it's, I had to download something and I was just like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, it's like I like I type scripts on my computer and watch porn on it. Like that is the <laughs> full extent of what I do. Like I don't even really fucking watch Netflix. Well, do you want to talk about your latest book and tell our listeners who are not familiar with that a little bit about it? <laughs> okay, my well, okay. There's a lot of latest things. Hundred Boyfriends came out two and a half years ago, um, and it's the story of like. Not a hundred men, but how one man can feel like a hundred ghosts. Yeah. That's how we say it. Um, and that's been doing really well. In fact, it started off as a film series called 100 Boyfriends Mixtape before it was a book. But it has several different lives of its own. But coming up, I have 
I signed a three book deal with FSG MCD, and so I have two poetry books coming out and a sci fi book coming up. Which one is like your favorite medium? You know, right now, I would have to say probably playing music because it's the thing that I get to do the least. And what I noticed, I spent a lot of years talking shit about playing music, but it's the least amount of people that have to hold my hand. Like, I feel like if I write something now, it has to go through like 10 different steps and a a long chunk of time before it's out in the world. Yeah. Whereas like, I don't know, music, I don't know, it's way more immediate and you can just do your thing and I'm needing some immediate gratification right now. I'm like trying to write my book too and I'm writing a diary and um, yeah, sometimes it's just really hard to kind of trying to get the audience, like trying not to think about them. Do you think like that helps you or that's more of a obstacle uh, well i can't ever picture who the fuck my audience is because <laughs> i'll be writing for who i think is basically i'm always writing for myself but then like i don't know one week you'll get like there'll be 10 10 people being like i love that book and they're all just like white women in their 40s <laughs> who are just like you know like i don't know who are just, i'm just like i'm like what did you like about the book and they're just like you know women shit blah 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 or, you know, some random fucking young person from New Zealand or, you know, it's like our voice reaches a lot of weird places. So it's hard to ever really think about who exactly you're talking to or who'll take the most from it, I think. So what about poetry? Like, Do you find it more difficult to just like write prose or poetry or is it like, do you have a favorite genre? I was like, hey, the the poetry I write is probably closer to, oh gosh, is, are the confessional poets still a thing? Confessional poets, I'd say language poets. I gotta quit saying language poets because no one's ever actually taught me fully what that term means. With my other work, I feel like sometimes you have to just be like writing your truth into a scroll just mm-hmm. so earnestly and laboriously all the time. It like you really It takes up so much mental space. Sometimes I like that poetry is just like, here like the really, here are the broad, here are the fucking, po- it's almost harder to write poetry, I think. Cause it's like, you have to make all these broader points, like connect in this really intense way. Yeah. But I think it's good to just like, it's good to just build another synapse sometimes. Cause I don't think anyone should write too much of one thing at all. Like, can you imagine only TV writing the rest of your life when you like kill yourself? It's like, <laughs> oh, like, <laughs> But if you can mix that with like some poetry and some other shit here and there, you have a well-balanced thing. So, I wish I could write poetry. I don't think I don't have it in me. Well, not with that attitude. <laughs> Maybe I should try. Yeah, I think a lot of people would buy your poetry book. Actually. <laughs> As I'm sure you all know by now, I went to prison for almost five years. I bounced around so many prisons and jails. One of the hardest parts was moving. Having to get a new routine every several months after every move was taxing mentally. Routine is important. In making a routine of talking with other people about what you're struggling with is some of the best medicine. These last few years have been unprecedented for everyone. You've been on your formal lockdown, 
I've been on mine. We've all had our mental health challenged more than ever. Getting help is so, so important. It's not easy. It's hard to find a therapist. It's expensive. It's weird and uncomfortable. Cerebral makes it really easy and affordable. Cerebral is a 100% online mental health service that offers therapy and medication management for anxiety, depression, insomnia, stress, burnout, and more. It's all online. You do a brief questionnaire and they match you with a therapist. If one doesn't work, you get another one. It's one of the few services that provides medication management online through a licensed provider if clinically indicated. It's also really affordable. It's about one third the price of traditional therapy. Our listeners will receive an exclusive 50% off the first month of therapy by going to Cerebral.com slash Delvey. That's Cerebral.com slash Delvey for 50% off your first month of therapy. For quality mental health care that's accessible and affordable, join Cerebral today. What about um, the art show? What is What exactly is it going to be in New York? Um, in June? I always have to say it right. No, I'm not saying it right. Hold on. The art show is going to be at Trotter and Schuler, which is at 168 Suffolk Street. It's from June. It goes from June 8th to July 8th. Tuesdays through Saturdays, 12 through 6 p.m. And so the show is called Anti-Alter Ego, and it's about writing against persona. And so there is paintings, there is um, Xerox print art, um, and there's self-portraits with text intervention. Examining who we are becoming and unbecoming without our permission. Huh. How long did it take you? I, start, I started the show when I was in grad school. So I started the show in 2020 when I was at UC Berkeley. Um, and yeah, I like, I want, I got my MFA in conceptual art practice at UC Berkeley in 2020. Are you, you think are you a good, you're a good student? No, I'm like the fucking, I'm literally the <laughs> fucking worst. Like I literally, I, I'm like one of those people, like you really have to grill me or I really might just read the introduction of the book. Um, <laughs> I'm great when it, okay, here's the thing, like, as in school is the case in my life, I'm great at putting out, like, yeah. the teachers love me because, like, my output is, like, there, I don't half-ass that a lot, yeah. but sometimes, it's like, you know, it's, sometimes I'm very much, like, fuck art, let's dance, like, <laughs> theory, theory is what, theory is what always grounds me when it's hours and hours and talking about theory, huh. um, that's that's depressing. But I actually, to, to be honest with you, I kind of miss the school setting right now. And so at the end of the year, I think I'm going to apply for a PhD program somewhere so I can go somewhere. Oh, really? And you did it in person, right? Yeah. How? Did you meet anybody interesting? Oh, they were all really cool. Like, it was like, because <laughs> in my program, too, there was like, there was this guy, like, in his late 50s that was just like coming back to school. He had been a painter all his life and he just came back to school just to, I don't know, learn some new language and be in converse with other artists. And, you know, that's the type of shit that's cool. Or like people, there were also people in the program who had like never made art before. They were just like yeah. experimenting and trying something out, which I also thought was really cool. And I don't know. I was, you know, I, I feel like I'll, in a lot of ways that, 
program probably saved my life. Um, I just hit such a wall. And, you know, I think it's good whenever people can, like, be in an incubator with other people and just, like, talk some ideas. You know, that's really what you paid the money for. Yeah. Just to slow down time around you and, you know, have give yourself permission to try some shit or be bad at some shit. So I was happy for that. Do you think it was, like, inspiring? Did you um, like get any ideas from, like, other people? All the fucking time? Or, like, or just, you know, because it's, like, sometimes when you, like, make art, like, around just your friends, like, you really get stuck in these really fucking crazy echo chambers and going into a situation where you had zero relationality to anybody. Yeah. Like, as maddening as that can be or the instances where you feel like you could be misunderstood or misread, certainly that's high. Mm -hmm. But also really just getting a scope of like what you look like to somebody who doesn't have your set of references. Yeah. It's like, it's very eye-opening. It's very awesome and humbling. And I don't know, it made me reapproach and redirect, which I probably should have hit that reset button years ago in some aspects, but... Better late than never. Um, I've heard you peed on in one of your movies. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> what was that? What was that? What was that like? <laughs> well, because that movie was like made during quarantine, right? Or <laughs> and I was, I was the okay. First of all, I don't even like getting peed on. I just did it for the camera. <laughs> And it was more in conjunction with um, the fact that supposedly our president at the time had a video where he was getting peed on. Yeah. And I was thinking about like, like what, what, what is shock value anymore? And just the, the fact that this gnarly thing can be floating around and you'll still be president of America. Also, right as everyone was having their only fans, right as everyone was just like, everyone was fucking on the internet. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> And so I, I personally am someone who always likes to put pornography in videos, not to be erotic, but strictly to be annoying. Yeah. I felt like it was, <laughs> it was just annoying enough a thing to put in there. And obviously it works. So. What was the craziest thing you've done for a sake of art? I got fucked by a unicorn in this movie when I was 20 years old. Aw, how was that? Would you do it again? <laughs> Um, no, I, 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 no, uh, uh, I, it was like the horn was made by that sex company, Good Vibrations, but it was still pointy. So I remember <laughs> I, a little bit, keep in mind when I did that scene, I was still an anal virgin. I had never been in the ass before. And so the person dressed like a unicorn totally fucked me. And I was like on a bunch of acid in the backyard and like a shit ton of makeup. And I was like, wow, I live in San Francisco. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. And I've done some fucking crazy shit. Like, I've gotten some crazy shit. But, like, getting fucked by that unicorn was nuts. And I remember I called my mom. I called my mom next day, and I was just like, well, yo, like, I got fucked by a unicorn. And my mom was just like, well, you know, some people fuck children and animals, like, a unicorn is art. And I was like, oh, wow, totally. And I felt good for about a day or two, but then I was just like, damn, like a unicorn. But now I think it's fucking hilarious. And when you think about it, Cookie Mueller got fucked by a chicken. 
you know, and had a great art career afterwards. So if Cookie Mueller can get fucked by a chicken, certainly I can fuck a unicorn. <laughs> right. I mean, I think, I don't know. Tell me if I'm wrong. <laughs> no, I think you're on the right path here. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Look, and I would totally do that again. I would, t- I would do it again, but better. <laughs> well, it's never too late. <laughs> you, well, as of now, no, I don't think it's too late. I think I have a, I think I have about five years on the time clock. So, yeah, I know you know movie people. So if you can get that cooking, I'll do the unicorn part too. <laughs> I'll keep, I'll keep you posted. I can definitely pull some strings. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Do you have any tips for me on, like, for my um, art career and me being on house arrest? It feels like. <laughs> oh, my God, honey. You would just be breathing with ideas. <laughs> I, don't think you, I don't think you need any advice. I think you got it in the bag. What I do think you should do is an OnlyFans, but an OnlyFans where you only read your diary from jail, but only do it in, like, 15-second clips. So people don't get too much of it. <laughs> and then, you know, at the end of the series, when you get like up to like, you know, an hour's worth of readings from those 15 seconds clips, then fucking sell the script. <laughs> <laughs> I but should. The real question is, who would you get to play you? Uh, I don't even know. <laughs> Somebody who like does not resemble me at all. I like, okay, and not to, like, be weird or whatever, this thing I have with, like, Pete, there's this guy, um, there's this guy, this art guy in New York, where it's, like, for years, I've only ever known him to have, like, this hokey East Coast accent, but then I learned that he was totally from Germany, like, (laughs) he's, like, he's, like, no, but, like, he didn't come to America until he was, like, 22 or 23, like, he should totally still have a German accent, but he was just hanging around these New York queens and picked up the lingo, and, like, we were making out in bed, and he all of a sudden slipped into this German accent so crazy and precisely, to where now when I hear a German accent, I feel like people are, like, all Germans are making up the accent, and they really just, like, talk like Californians or something. <laughs> Is this true? <laughs> no, I don't think so. What would you, how would you, like, describe my accent? <laughs> It sounds like German. Really? Do I sound anything like um, Netflix, Julia Gardner? <laughs> I don't think so. Or I don't. I don't think she. I don't. I don't think do I sound about, anything like her. How do, you, how do you feel about her voice? Come on, be honest. Well, I feel like they just completely exaggerated it. Also. Um, to be fair, it is a drama. To be fair, my accent probably changed, and they didn't really have much to work with, just because like I never really gave any interviews like before I got arrested. Then I was in jail this whole time. There were probably maybe like just a couple of things when it came to Rikers, and they filmed me. And then I just like I used to travel the whole time, so uh, like I never ever really lived here. Um, until I got arrested and I was just in jail this whole time. So I barely speak any other language. So I'm sure it changed. It's hard to like judge for myself. Um, but yeah, I'm just kind of trying to take it with like a grain of salt and it's not, it's not a documentary. And I feel like 
whoever just believes this is what happened is like also it's an idiot test in a way like <laughs> you know <laughs> i feel like if sense were common more people would have it so. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like always a good um it's interesting to see what people choose to believe so it's like the same thing it's like don't believe everything you read don't believe everything you watch especially if it says <laughs> it's a dramatized version <laughs> of real events so i don't know i don't know <laughs> are you good at accents Absolutely not. And like part of me too is like I feel like even when I was a kid in Alabama, I went to this particular kind of they called it blue ribbon schools at the time. And they made sure that we didn't have southern accents Mm -hmm. because they were worried about us being employable and like southern people quote unquote sound stupid. So they kind of you know, they really this was the nineties and they really kind of they were really adamant about us having kind of a neutral American accent. But then, of course, mm-hmm. I moved to California when I was 20. And now, like, I feel like I was always in my head making fun of a Valley Girl accent. But now it's like I actually speak that way. And it's like I feel like I have a vocal fry. And, like, sometimes I ask questions like I'm asking a question or <laughs> everything becomes like I'm asking a question. Like, mm-hmm. up speaking so real. But then in my head, I still hear my Southern grandmother when I talk. So it's like, I don't really know who I am. Mm-hmm. Like, do you ever, don't you feel like, sometimes I feel like there's four different accents and people competing. <laughs> and especially when you watch too, I think it's like maybe like a globalization thing because like when I watch, when I watch reels or stories from all over the world, it's like everyone everyone can mimic a certain type of accent and the yes. neutral American accent is always the most mimicked. And so they were asking British people to talk like an American. And I've always, I've only ever heard Americans try to imitate British people. I've never heard British people imitate Americans. And when I heard <laughs> what British people heard, I was like, no wonder the world hates us. <laughs> we sound <laughs> disgusting. It's weird. <laughs> I feel like it's just kind of natural to um, want to sound like people you're surrounded with. Like when I was in jail, I just picked up on so many words I would never even like dream of saying. And then (laughs) I like I got out and then I'm talking to like my friends and I were like, oh, well, it's like, is this a jail word? I was like, you best to believe it. (laughs) Like you're dragging it. Like, I know all kinds of words. <laughs> I really like you dragging it. I never used it before I went to jail. I feel like it's just, <laughs> it describes, it just describes it so accurately. I think it's just such a great word. I wish more people would use it. It's like you're dragging it. It's like, exactly. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> everyone it's Anna I want to talk to you for a moment about the benefits of microdosing I'm sure some of you listening to this show are enjoying it a whole lot more because you decided to microdose the benefits are overwhelming especially for artists and creatives if you don't know the term microdosing involves taking small amounts of a psychoactive substance like THC 
It doesn't get you high, but it does open you up to the world and flood your brain with serotonin so you feel good and are receptive to others. For creatives, the right dose will help you lock into a project and reach a flow state. Our show today is sponsored by Microdose Gummies. Microdose Gummies deliver perfect entry-level doses of THC that help you feel just the right amount of good. My friend just bought Microdose Gummies and they love them. One of my girlfriends, who's usually a bit of a hot mess, she's one of the most anxious people I've ever met. So she took half of a gummy for anxiety and she was the most normal I've seen her in a long time. She was just totally chill and relaxed, all without feeling lazy or hazy. They also tasted really good, she said. Microdose is available nationwide. To learn more about Microdose and THC, go to microdose.com and use code DELVY, D-E-L-V-E-Y, to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Links can be found in the show description, but again, that's microdose.com, code DELVY. Do you like any, like, what artists are you inspired currently by? I always told myself that I wanted Miranda July's career, but, like, with, like, four times the money. (laughs) Um, But also, to be honest, what I really want is Miranda July's Instagram. Like, sometimes I'll be looking at it, and I'm just like, I should wear more, like, high-fashion clothes and do, like, weird dance improvs in my dressing room. You know, my fucking, my, my Instagram is basically a lot of elevated hoe shit and unelevated hoe shit, you know? Um, but I'm trying to make room for more art. Who's else, who else's career would I like to have? Basically, if I could just, like, I want the Met Gala notoriety without ever having to go to the Met Gala. Like, I want more fancy gowns and clothes, and I want to walk in a couple more runway shows, but anything beyond sociality after that, like, fuck that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I would love to play just, like, basement punk shows the rest of my life and just be, like, cool, but if I could just get on a couple of runways (laughs) and be on a couple of designers send-to list, then, yeah, I'll consider the job well done. You know, I've never really asked for much. (laughs) No, you have not. (laughs) So what do you think of the whole Mad Gala thing? Well, it just always, okay, it only reminds me of how completely out of fucking touch I am because every time they do the red carpet, I feel like I only know about 10% of the people who are there. (laughs) And like everybody else, I'll just like, unless there's like a prompter and a Wikipedia link next to it, (laughs) I just don't fucking know. And sometimes I think I'm just like, did I just like do a bunch of drugs and now all the fucking space (laughs) in my brain is like filled? Like, cause it's just like, cause I remember there was one bitch. I was just like, yo, like who's this skinny white girl? And my friend was just like, yo, like that's that's Liv Tyler. And I was like, Liv Tyler still gets invited to the Met Gala? Like that's lit. I was happy for her. But like, like, I, um, (laughs) Yeah, I'm really old and out of touch in a lot of key ways. And it, every time I look at it, I just feel like that that gap widens and widens with every year. So I I tend to try not to catch the Met Gala coverage because it shows me how far I'm sinking into this coffin, this cultural <laughs> coffin. Well, what do you think, like, between kind of the separation between, like, is it fashion or if it's just costume? Oh, that's a good point. Like, it's yeah, it would have to be costume, right? Yeah, I guess it's just 
it's different for how everybody just interprets the theme but um it's kind of like one of the few events where you can just show up like wearing something completely ridiculous and people will um clap <laughs> something that's not supposed to be um an item of clothing <laughs> if you got um a chance to decide on a theme what would you like to make it oh um college loan default <laughs> wrap your hands around that one (laughs) that would be a very funny one (laughs) or like GoFundMe like what would people's GoFundMe outfit look like (laughs) just like all this yo they should do one called house arrest and like what people do with like the bracelets Uh, yeah, maybe we should do one. <laughs> I think that's cool. <laughs> Who else do you think I should interview for my podcast? Who else should you interview for your podcast? I definitely think you should get like a couple of food people. Um, the fucking whoever. Who is the leader of like the like like the National Anarchist Party? <laughs> Have you tried financial doming yet? No. I'm not, I'm not I'm not at that stage in my journey yet. But don't you think you'd be like good at it? I might be. <laughs> oh, that's another that's another med theme gala, financial doming like yeah, 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 yeah. Julia Fox would love that one. <laughs> would you like to ask me anything? What's your sign? What guess? <laughs> no, I'm like horrible at it, but that's something I like feel like um, I'm always asking people like, what's your sign and how do you feel like this has affected your choices in life? Nobody ever guesses my sign, right? Um, it's Aquarius. I don't know. <laughs> oh, because it's so muted. <laughs> don't you, I don't think you come off as like that. Well, you're definitely chill. <laughs> like if we were talking, if I just met you on the train and we were talking, I would never guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> Say it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would never guess about your colorful life history. Uh, I guess no one would suggest mine either. Like, oh, because they would never be like, you would never meet me on the train and be like, oh yeah, that guy fucked <laughs> by a unicorn. <laughs> oh, no, she has a whole Netflix thing. Like, oh, this is what they call perfect strangers. See, this is another thing I hate about the information age. We both mutually know way too much about each other already. Like, like <laughs> it removes <laughs> removes the mystery. I don't know. Let's I think you're cool. <laughs> I think you're very exciting too. Oh, we should, thank you. We should definitely come up with some collaboration. I think. <laughs> <laughs> let me give let me give it some thought 
I think you're going to land both of us in trouble. <laughs> or I might. So. I mean, it's what else can happen to me? <laughs> I'm down. I'll follow you straight to jail. <laughs> I, I bet you're going to have to, like, you could have so much fun in jail. It's not the worst place on earth <laughs> for a short period of time. You don't want to stay there for too long, but if you know you're like not staying there for too long. <laughs> I mean, listen, I've, I don't know. I can, I, I can see pe- people like, you know, adapting to wherever. It's a fun experience. Have you seen like Orange is the New Black or any of the jail shows? I've never watched it. Me neither. So I went to jail like being a completely blank slate. I knew nothing. So it just surprised me. <laughs> How long were you in there? Uh, I was at Rikers for 19 months. And uh, then I was upstate in prison for like 20, 21 months. Yeah, and I was in ice jail for like another 18 months. So I have quite, <laughs> quite an experience. <laughs> I was also briefly in uh, jail in LA in Twin Towers because I got extradited from California to New York. So they um, arrested me in Malibu and they held me until New York came to pick me up. Like three, this is like three and a half years. Pretty much, yeah. A bit longer. Three years and four months for like my criminal um, case and like 18 months for ICE. Oh my God. But I should write uh, a guide to um, jails and prisons <laughs> of America. <laughs> but aren't you worried about there might be like some abolitionist like thought people who might? <laughs> <laughs> I had some COs who like begged me to write a Yelp review <laughs> for different facilities. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell us as a person who had sex with a unicorn. <laughs> I mean, well, okay. <laughs> you know, it's weird. It's weird, but what I did won't land you in jail. Like, or will it, though? You never know. <laughs> well, it was so nice talking to you. Is there anything else you want to talk or address? And please let us know where can we follow you? The best way to follow me is on Instagram, Brontes Purnell. And no, I think that's really cool. And I'm glad you like took time out to talk to me. This was rad. Thank you so much for taking your time. And uh, I'd love to come up with some idea for us to collaborate sometime very soon. I think people would love it. <laughs> Let's fucking party. Of course. Have a good night. Bye. <laughs> you too, my love. Bye. I'm on house arrest, so I would have really loved it if Brontes were here in person instead of talking to him on my computer. I think we would have a really fun time together. Maybe I'll get him back here for round two sometime soon. What the hell? The Anna show is a reunion audio and audio app production. The show is produced by Sean Glass, sound supervised and co-produced by John Eckhouse. And it makes you say, hey. Reunion audio?